Yo, what up? It's Eric, a.k.a. The Baggage Chandler, a.k.a. Catch a Case. Yo, what up? It's Jeff, a.k.a. Breaking Down the Dutch, a.k.a. Germany. We're It's The Real. We have a brand new podcast called The Blog Era. Go binge that right now. Shout out to the Fly Fidelity podcast, the only podcast that we listen to when we're in London. When we're in Manchester. When we're in Sheffield. When we're in Wales. Or anywhere across the ocean. Shout out to you guys. We'll see you soon. Bow, bow, bow. Fuck, 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 fuck. First, First I say, what we're going to do. Then you say, I don't know. What do you want to do? What we're going to do, what you want to do. You're going to dig this. The Fly Fidelity Podcast is the solution. It's the best. Check it out. You want to get super fly, fly. Details just ahead. Do you love credible content, but, but, but hate how long you have to wait? And who wants super thick and frothy dumpster juice with rat corpses in it? There's a better way. Fly Fidelity. Fly Fidelity. Fly Fidelity. Fly Fidelity. Fly. Fly. Fly Fidelity. Fidelity. Fly Fidelity Podcast. Fly Fidelity, baby. Fidelity, baby. Fidelity. With your host, Luke Bailey. Welcome to the program. On this episode, we're digging into the discourse of blogs and their impact between 2007 and 2012. Collectively known as It's The Real, Jeff and Eric Rosenwald join us to talk about their 10-part podcast, The Blog Era. We'll be talking about the wild west of music distribution and discovery, and so much more on this episode. Enjoy the conversation. Could you both maybe talk about any lessons from your story and having had viral success in the past to kind of, I guess, contributed any kind of perspective to the story you're telling about the blog era? Um, we are storytellers, not just at heart, but in practice. So when you're talking about 15 years of a career so far, and we've done what may look like a wide range of things, whether that's sketch comedy or original music or long form interviews, what ties everything together is our ability to tell stories in a, um, in an inventive and a deep, deeply felt way. And we've never told a story as big as the blog era or as lengthy as the blog era. Um, and so I think that we were both prepared for it and also being thrown in the deep end. So all we could do, and by the way, we threw ourselves in the deep end. This wasn't like, you know, we were tossed in. Um, this is our own decision. We wanted to do this. It was in the very beginning right. stages of the pandemic. And, uh, but as, as storytellers, I think that we had the tools but we had never put them into practice yet. And uh, to find out what we thought worked and what we enjoyed and what we believed we could convey was an extremely fun process. Um, and, and uh, you know, you see the results now. Yeah, I think that, you know, the, even though this is so different in a lot of ways from what we've done, you know, we, we broke, I looked at uh, pictures from, 
August of 2020 today, when we were first breaking the story, meaning like breaking it down into different sections and here's the 10 episodes and the structure remains the same from, from three years ago till today. So the, the hard part, we almost got immediately. Um, we did all the, the interviews very quickly. We, it's just about picking the right quotes and um, really the scoring that, that really elevated everything. But all these things are tools that we've had for uh, 15 years um, and, and even beyond that, you know, like doing videos um, as kids um, under Eric's direction. So I think that even though the format is different, I think that the output and the work and care that was put in is all the same. Absolutely. What's the story behind the story you're telling? How did this come together? I mean, we lived it. Um, you know, I think, but, but what really happened is that we, for five years, we had a podcast where people would come over to our apartment in New York and they would tell their life story over an hour and a half. Um, and so that was everybody from Cardi B and Rick Ross to Dave, um, to uh, Michael Dappa, you know, everybody would come over, all these behind the scenes people would come over, um, hmm. but they would, um, and we, we would go through their life story. But then when the pandemic hit, it was like, oh, we can't do that same thing. Even though, yes, the technology was there to do that, we felt like doing an, an in, impersonal um, interview was not what we wanted um, for that sort of uh, show. And then, you know, we were at this sort of crossroads where it was just like, I, I wanted to do something different. I wanted to do a narrative podcast. Um, something that told a much deeper story and Eric was like, well, then if we do, we have to do something we care about. And his first idea after going for a walk by himself was to do a thing on the blog era. And we felt that the blog era, if you've been on social media at all over the last decade, uh, <laughs> you have seen the blog era referenced and people reminiscing and um, you know, keeping it alive in some form or fashion. And I was like, you know what? We were there. We were on the front lines. We should be the ones to tell this story. We have the access. We have right. the time. Why don't we do this before an unnamed large corporation comes through and tries to sell us back our experiences? Mm. We were like, let's let's do this properly and authentically. And because we were there, we know a lot more truths than the public does. Let's put this out there and properly represent. What's going on, Shamir Drake? I want to give a shout out. I want to extend my respect to the whole Not Right family, SK. Um, I'm a big supporter, man. I go on every day and check it out. And I'm always, you know, flattered when I'm on there. So from us here, October Zone, man, we appreciate you. We're looking forward to doing a lot in the future, man. Shout out, not right. Decisions get made on the highest floors of Midtown Manhattan high-rises, where each corner office has incredible views of the city. Everything outside, it seems, moves in slow motion. From those heights, it's just as easy to dream up the big picture as it is to lose track of what's happening down on the street. In 2007, for anyone in entertainment, there were only so many appointments to see the gatekeeper. If you wanted to make it to the top, you either waited for the elevator or hit those stairs. 
until a small number of kids behind keyboards began to ignore those buildings and erected their own. These were the blogs. I'm like, dude, what the fuck is a blog? We thought it was going to change the world. It was the wild, wild west. Blogs were personalized websites dedicated to hip-hop music and culture run by people outside the system. You want me to give you my music for free? Are you nuts? nuts? He's like, don't you uh, like computers and shit? And he's like, did the typing move with his hands and shit. I was like, fuck yeah. I didn't see the storm that was coming. The most influential and popular blog in this universe, NowWrite.com, 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 was curated by a guy working in IT who lived in Yonkers, New York. My name is SK. I'm the founder of NowWrite.com. And uh, that's about it. <laughs> he saw what those executives could not, that unique voices weren't being heard. If you're talking about the blog era and you're not talking about NowWrite, you're just not talking about the blog era. Drake was a child actor from Canada. Wiz Khalifa was a little-known stoner from Pittsburgh who had been dropped by his label. Yeah, man, it was such a crazy time, bro. Like, <laughs> Kid Cudi, Nicki Minaj, J. Cole, Vashti, Combat Jack, and countless more found a path towards substantial careers because the bloggers built them the platform. That year, we probably took home like 1.4. It was like, you'll leave here a millionaire for sure. This is the story of what happens when you make enough noise. No one really gives a fuck until you make them give a fuck. And how those in power went to extreme lengths to shut them up. Later on down the line, yeah, it got a little, you know, a little messy. I don't know who let the fuck into the henhouse. It's about names you know and superstars you don't. Industries shaken to their core and the fight for the control of pop culture. Complex took it from us. Complex sold it to advertisers and had to give that income to the record company. And then the record company skipped us and just said, fuck it, fuck it. It's also the story of supreme betrayal. I want to do something to him. I go to St. Louis and slap the shit out of him. Federal agents knocking down doors. Pops in full gear jumped out with M16s drawn, told me to get on the ground, and I did just that. And people who created out of love, losing everything. How much did your stomach sink? Oh, it was horrible. I mean, it's literally a car crash. I'm Eric Rosenthal. And I'm Jeff Rosenthal. And our voice, independent and outside, is here alongside 150 of our people in an effort to tell this shit right. Where it's the real. And this is The Blog Era. Subscribe now to The Blog Era, premiering April 19th, and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Was there a specific blogmosphere event that was the most challenging to research because at a time we're talking about being largely gone or people's memories of how it happened to being different? Well, a, a lot of it, um, you know, I could say that researching the Ilmore and a lot of it is, is fact checking, right? But the Ilmore, which was uh, a gigantic South by Southwest event in uh 2012 um if you know and there's a lot of a lot of research that you have to do to find people's tweets to confirm that they were there and get some you know first person stories from people and but but it's fact checking it's like oh are you sure that Solange was there and then it's just like well a lot of digging to do that but at the core of it if this story revolves around the websites that were started and uh, popularized by anonymous people in their spare time as passion projects. And those websites don't exist anymore. 
then it's a lot of hoping that you can uh, either have the time or the patience or the wherewithal to go through archive.org like Jeff did to make sure that we were getting these facts straight. Oh, Drake was on a Mickey fact song in 2008 or nine. Well, you got to find it. You got to make sure you got to see what the comments were. You got to see what the caption was. Oh. You got to double check. So all this stuff that does not exist because now right as a website doesn't exist anymore. Um, that was a humongous challenge. Yeah, but I think that the the biggest thing that we had to try and wrap our heads around was, and I don't think this is a spoiler because, you know, now the series is out, but, you know, the the ending of it and the business side of things was a very tough thing to sort of understand because, you know, we don't know certain legalese and we don't know how certain corporations um connect to one another and so you have to do a lot of talking to people and and yeah. you know figuring out um how how everything could be pieced together and and what what stabs in the dark you're making and what is actually nailed down and so i think that that was probably the toughest part Speaking of the toughest parts you've been speaking about, can you expand on this process of having to emphasize the purpose of this story you're talking about to everybody featured in the series and essentially amplifying their perspectives to service an entire generation? Did you feel any weight on your backs, you know, having to tell that story about an entire generation? It's a oh, personal yeah. story. Oh, yeah. I um, I think that it's... it's it, it, you nailed it, you know? Like, I think that it's this every single episode that we put out i was always like i'm waiting for the shoe to drop i'm waiting for episode three when people don't like it because their story was told wrong or somebody's story was told wrong or somebody was right. forgotten or somebody was um and so i think that the reaction has been really gratifying um because it's this thing where people feel seen even if they weren't themselves interviewed um and the people who were interviewed are very grateful to to be a part of it and to also be represented in a a good a, a way that 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 is true. Um, but I I've personally felt anxious every single week, and I'm still processing it um, now that we put out the the tenth episode today. Um, but it 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 was a a huge responsibility to not screw it up. You know, on the the night before our first episode dropped. This is right after our launch party. The last thing I saw before I went to sleep was a tweet by somebody who said, um, you're going to have a long day tomorrow. And so like, you know, like, and that, that speaks to two things. One, I need to stop looking at Twitter before I go to sleep. Um, <laughs> but two, it's, it's that there was extremely high expectations for this thing. Um, you know, uh, the blog era, everybody feels so intensely um, connected to this time. Um, mm. And so for us to put our stamp on it, um, it could have could have been terrible. Um, but thankfully, thus far, it, it has not been. Uh, I'd like to add uh, to Jeff's 
anxiousness around the episodes was um, during the the rollout of the 10 episodes. Right. Um, I think that something that worked to our benefit during the pandemic and the majority of the three years that we worked on this thing was that it was done quietly. And so expectations were minimalized and because even though we spoke to 150 people, most of those people kept their mouths shut and they didn't get the word out. They didn't tweet about it. They didn't ruin this. Um, and, and there wasn't a lot of, and that's not everybody. There were some people who, who said some things, you know, to other people. And then those people called us, but um, overall with lower expectations, it allowed us just to work. And, uh, right. you know, you, you got to remember the environment too. The world is shut down for a lot of this time. You're stuck inside a lot of this time. Uh, for us, we sort of got to avoid the realities of the outside world in terms of like, th this is an airborne disease. There's people dying. There's, uh, you know, gigantic fears that we won't get past this thing, that it'll get to us or our family members or our friends. Um, but we were able to huddle down and and just focus on the story and focus on the information that we had and that that we dug up. And we were able to move accordingly. And, you know, the the top thing we worried about for better or for worse was not the expectations of this full project it was really like you know the greater world and the future of it and and we got to a point where only when we announced it a few weeks or maybe a month before we were to drop the entire series that's when there was this realization of like oh well people know about it now and then people uh came forward with their own opinions what you're talking about is really a moment in time which kind of speaks to this correlation between the pandemic freezing time and your intentions if freezing people's time to reflect on an error you're talking about right there's that correlation between the two for sure i, yeah. I there's it's a uh it's a i'll i'll say this too to further your point um the pandemic was a time when uh, and stats show this you know based off streaming services uh, comfort music for people was uh, music from their youth, uh, music from their high school days, uh, music that they went back to to sort of like feel better in a time of great unease. Um, and for us, our heads were strictly in 2007 to 2012. And so when people would ask us what we were listening to, hey, have you caught up on this or this or this? Outside of like watching verses, um, on Instagram or on, uh, you know, uh, whatever, uh, Twitter, I, I guess, uh, different platforms. Um, we our 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 music taste our our music, um, choices would just be in that time. And so music or so, so, so time for us really did freeze yeah. and we were only living in this, this time, uh, in a very strange, but, uh, warped way, warped way. Right. Yeah. So take me back to the blog era. What are your recollections of being around some of those bloggers, the artists, and these personalities whose stories you're telling? And what kind of personal connection and weight do those moments play in this series? I think that 
what I remember about that time was how, and this is going to be a dumb point, but like how young everybody was and how, how accessible everybody was. Um, the world of the blogs um, in person just wasn't that big. Um, whereas now the subculture has become the culture. And so what I remember about that time was that there were, there was such ease in meeting all these people who became my friends. Um, and so there, there, there was this community that I felt very strongly, um, you know, meeting people for the first time on Twitter. And there was a, a general excitement, I think, um, that people have, but like, you know, I, I don't want to get too far in the, um, feeling like a, a grandpa and being like, Oh, like in my day, it was like this, right. but, but it, it, it was a special time for us because we were all, it was like going away to college, you know, like there was this reset that was happening between the real world, quote unquote, and the internet. And so people, including us were able to, for the first time, find audiences and find connections and find, um, you know, find, find, safe spaces for, for lack of a better word, um, that we could connect with people. And, and that, or, I mean, it was very fertile ground, you know? Um, right. We're, uh, we're from 30 minutes north of New York City. We grew up with friends who had uh, interests like us. We had, um, you know, uh, we, we had the internet, obviously, but, um, we we happen Jeff and I happen to love rap and hip hop culture more than uh, most of our friends from home. Um, in moving to the city in 2007 and putting out these sketch videos on YouTube and having them get on Nah Right and Two Dope Boys and Misinfo and all the websites you you hoped you would get them on, um, it meant everything to us and opened up an audience to us that we had never imagined existed for us. And then and then you go out and you meet some of these same people who were fans of our work who became real life friends because they wrote for blogs, because they owned blogs, because they were in these circles that we we were a part of, um, like Jeff was saying, everything felt new and all of a sudden we were able to relate because they were like-minded people one-to-one. -one. We didn't, we didn't have to, uh, have a disconnect from, from a friend back home. Like in, in my case, I went to, to school with people who we were friends when we grew up, but then I went off to college and it's like, you know, you figure out that, oh, I'm, I was only friends with these people because we all grew up in a similar place, not because we have similar interests. And then, uh, you know, what happens when you move to the city is you're able to choose your friends. And so um, because Jeff and I committed so hard to this thing that we love, hip hop culture and, and rap music and, and events and attitudes and dress and all of that, all of a sudden there were people like Loki who ran a website called You Heard That New and we walked into the same party and it was like, oh, you're him and you're them. And all of a sudden it was like, great, let's, let's, you know, we're not in this thing alone. We can all move ahead together. And I think 
that was super important to us in a very, very exciting time because everything felt new and it felt like we were all at, you know, in our 20s in charge. And you felt together. It was a connection. Yeah. It was a connective tissue that brought you together for hip hop's sake. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's also that we're all young and starving and going to parties and not being able to afford food. And so you would just live off of, you know, hors d'oeuvres. Um, and so like, there's this collective experience that we all shared, you know, just yeah. going to like three events every single night. And so these bonds are created. Can you remember your first time experiencing a blog that was exclusive to somebody's fandom? And what kind of impact did that have on the way you think about the electronic discourse of rap? Well, um, you know, there's a lot of people, if you ask J. Cole and his whole team, they all grew up off of like the cannabis forums. Um, and if you look toward, um, you know, Joe Budden was on Box Den um, and their their internet was a little different probably than ours because Nah Right was the biggest and and best, yeah. you know, and most seemingly the the one with the best taste. Um, and it it was it was like wow, like this simple, unique and and striking place gets all their stuff first. And this guy writes with such authority. It's like, well, that's what I aspire to get on. And it's not. MTV like it used to be and it's not VH1 or Comedy Central it was like man I really hope that we can get on there and so our personal experience was like you read Not Right and then it's like one day you're like I want to be on Not Right yeah I think like we were such huge fans of XXL magazine um, and so we I remember going to XXLmag.com every single day numerous times a day refreshing 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 because like you know nobody had notifications back then. Um, and so I remember going to to there and spending all day on there. I remember going to all hip hop and spending all day on there. Um, I remember going to like deafsounds.com, which was a forum. And, you know, there were there were not that many websites, SOHH.com. Um, but the ones that I was on, I was on all day. Um, along with uh not napster at the time but there were there were other services like that where you were just like downloading stuff um on my very high speed internet in college but so yeah i mean that was my my internet experience my internet experience was being on whatever hip-hop site i could find i wasn't super loyal to anyone i wasn't a, a commenter i wasn't a, a real lurker it was more about the content than the comments um and so but that that's what i was doing all day Byron Crawford was, if, if, if our introduction was SK and you start to find all the surrounding bloggers and pre-existing bloggers after that, um, 
it's thanks to the blog rolls um, that sort of gave you this like little cheat sheet into what else existed in the universe. And Byron Crawford was somebody who sooner or later you figure out about him and then you're like, wow, this dude is something different. Um, he is mean. He's like towing a line, if not happily jumping over it. He is uh, unwavering and unforgiving and just not a nice guy. But it was so hard to not pay attention to someone like that, especially back in 2006. And, you know, with his voice and, and, and voice, I mean like his written voice, you're, you're looking at this thing and being, and you don't know who the guy is. And there's one picture of him on his site. And you just think he's like the biggest, baddest bully of them all. And you can't not be there. And then you find that so many of the bloggers that we feature in that in that early time, right. the Sean Fennessy's, the Combat Jacks, the Dallas Pens, the Fresh Alinas, that they all congregated there, Jay Smooth, um, they all congregated there is a wild thought because um, you eventually come to find through all these other people's voices and their own websites that they're not like Byron, but they were they were inspired to be free in how they spoke by Byron. So um, and then later on, people like Byron and Fresh and Dallas and uh, Jay Smooth end up on DoubleXLMag.com, like Jeff was talking about. And it becomes this thing where it's like, oh, wow these these this all-star lineup existed before now they're here at this quote-unquote mainstream operation and now i really got to pay attention to them and and it's it's in in the moment a a really thrilling time because it's like i know there's not a lot of eyes on this but it feels so important every single one of them the moment that jay smooth posts something i gotta read it the moment the moment that um Dallas says something, I know it's going to be hilarious. And, and, you know, uh, Byron or Elliot or DJ drama or Sycamore or fresh or whoever was there, yeah. it became a thing. And to double XL's credit, and that's B Fred and Elliot at the time and, and later SK, mm. they were the ones who recognized that those voices existed before. And if they can get a paycheck, no matter how big or small, just something regular, DoubleXLMag.com can become a destination so people like us could find these people who originated long before. Yeah. And speaking of destinations, where were some of your go-to sources for music back then? And, and who would have been some of the artists that blogs covered that led you down this, you know, big rabbit hole of discovery? I mean, uh, Cocaine Blunts, um, Andrew Nosnitsky was a big one for me. Um, I learned so much about regional Southern um, pockets um mm. through him um and just like very different sounds from everywhere else i was getting music um not right obviously misinfo.tv was very important and you could find um anything from um that you could i mean her her, her personality also was so different from sk's and the way that she wrote about music and wrote about the things she was covering um the smoking section um which was so thoughtful and long form and gave context to people like Big Crit um, or Currency or Wiz. Um, 
And I would also say The Fader, which is, uh, you know, not a blog, but it was a website. And um, I found a lot, and, and also Disco Bell, um, which was a Swedish dance blog, which, you know. Interesting. Was so, they would post some hip hop, but a lot of um, other stuff that was just like interesting and fun. And like, that's the, the other thing that sort of like we touch on, but like, the world of the blogs was so much bigger than just hip hop. And so like you would find Wale on, on Disco Bell just as often as you would find certain dance remixes and, and hip hop remixes of dance songs on, um, on Not Right. I think too, um, Jeff and I were creating videos on a weekly basis back then, which was all done independently out of pocket. Uh, we worked odd jobs to make life happen um, to be able to pay our rent or or take a train. And by the way, if we didn't have the money to pay for train fare, we would just walk everywhere around New York City. Um, we just, you know, skip meals and and make it work, um, much to our relatives' chagrin. But um, we made it work and made it happen, and we, we we kept doing it. But we were working on these weekly videos, and every time, just like an artist, like a like a musical artist, every time that we were um, pushing our videos, emailing these websites um, to to try to get on. I think a lot of our um, relationships with the blogs was based around that. Relationships meaning like um, reading wise, it was like, man, I would really love to be on pardonmeduke.com. It's not the biggest, it's not the most, uh, you know, uh, uh, consistent blog, but it was an important one to us and, you know, Yes, later on, J. Cole was thinking the same thing as us. All he wanted to do was get on, like, on, on Pardon Me Duke. But then you have um, random ones. Uh, the wrap-up in Houston or, like, Different Kitchen um, was, a, was a... From Canada. Was a, yeah, strangely important one to us. Um, Real Talk New York was important. You hoped that KarenCivil.com, um, you know, AshleyOutrageous.com... Um, we we just we really wanted our work everywhere and and in a way we felt like the Wiz Khalifas are the currencies because you know we were trying to to get our voice some shine as well and so um, now right was super important to us because it was like the one we always looked up to but all these other blogs around in smaller cities and smaller audiences uh, mattered to us just as much. What was it about Now Right that worked for you personally? Well, SK felt like the arbiter of good taste. And and look, hip hop was born in the Bronx 50 years ago. And, you know, there's always been this New York thing, you know, other regions looking to New York to get validation. And even when you get to somebody like Drake, a child actor from Toronto, Canada, just wants to get on not right because there's a validation there. There's a legitimacy that comes from a real New Yorker, be it, mm. you know, from any of the five boroughs or even beyond that in Yonkers where SK is from. Um, there's something about like passing the the smell test. It's like that guy can, can see through acts that are not good and he'll put on ones that are. And so it's like, if that guy who loves hip hop as much as I do, but has a platform and and has an audience gives me the cosign. Well, then I'm I'm something, and I think that's what was really attractive about 
SK and the, the platform he created. Well, also, I loved that he was so stubborn about his taste. <laughs> um, you know, when he would, he would put up songs that he disliked and you knew that they that he disliked them because he would put for, for archival purposes only um, <laughs> and so like he would um he would put up like you know dj Khaled remixes that had like 30 people on them and he would be like you know like for archival purposes only i mean like that that was that <laughs> and it was a a very um active uh hashtag that he would use for that you know like that he i i think that um there was a brilliance to that yeah, and and also just that when he was posting Sean Price stuff, like this is it, his taste was very apparent, and I think that's yeah. what was so interesting about it was that um, you got some things that you yourself would not necessarily be interested in, but then through him you became interested in them. That's right, and and one more quick thing, which is that like yes, there was this New York bias. Clearly, he was like, if he liked Sean Price, and that was the be-all, end-all, he was New York to the core. But at the same time, he put on for Wiz and he put on for Currency, and that opened those guys up to me, you know? And yeah. and, and that was right. so significant because I would have never taken a chance on those guys, you know, doing this really spacey, uh, blissed-out, foggy music if it wasn't for SK being like, hey, here's this new song by Spitta and you should really like mess with it. And I was like, okay. If you are still listening to this episode and enjoying the podcast, why not become a patron of Fly Fidelity at patreon.com slash flyfidelity. Becoming a patron means you are directly supporting our show and helping us to create a new episode each and every week. It also means that as a thank you for being a super supporter, you'll be able to access exclusive content to you, including patron updates, offers and discounts, a monthly secret podcast, early access, and so much more. I don't know that I remember my first time in the comments, but I do definitely remember the the commenters who really like loved our, I actually, I do know that Nation was a huge supporter of ours. Um, SK was a huge supporter of ours, always wrote great things about us. Um, I, I remember different commenters and their names and the ones that didn't like us. And it would be like, you know, you, whenever we would put a video up, I remember, always like scrolling down and you would just see like, you know, 30 down, it would just be like somebody you, you know doesn't like you. And it'd be like, oh, why this book? Why can't you just wait till the next one? <laughs> I think there was a naivete about us as well, because- oh, that's funny, yeah. <laughs> you, you go, I don't know what you're- Oh, okay, well, I'm gonna say my thing. Which is that, so we put out our, our first two videos. The first one is called Deconstructing Biggie, which is about um, uh, UPS driver. Or it was about uh, the Biggie line, your maximum hiring, admiring, don't be bad, UPS is hiring. Looked at that from the UPS driver's perspective and the DHL and FedEx guys um, who uh, thought it was the greatest thing in the world. Nope. Um, okay. 
What yeah. did I see? No, 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 you got it right. Yeah. I'm just like, I, I was like going through the motions when I was yeah. telling you the story. Anyway, so the second video, that, that one does very well. The second one we put out was an early retirement party for Lloyd Banks. And that video ended up on a ton of different forums. And every single one was talking about who are these white boys? Were they hired by um, Dipset to go at Lloyd Banks? Were they hired by the game? Like, how much money are they getting for this thing? Like all this, these, these very... Um, wrong, but interesting, I guess, perspectives of uh, what what uh, psyops um, we were working on behalf of. And, you know, I, I think we were both naive to um, what the world was. I think we both walked in and we're just like, well, we get posted on not right. We get posted on misinfo. Like we do this thing and people laugh with us and some people laugh at us but like you know this is just part of the thing and we're all like we're all in this thing together until someone like Dallas Penn comes around and is just like no uh you you guys are not welcome around here and here's why and it it really shook us because um you know we're young we've met people we probably well we, we hadn't met Dallas at that time but we met probably some some bloggers around town and felt like we were all part of this thing of ours. We all were part of the same thing. So no matter if some random person, uh, you know, from the comment section, whoever this person with a weird name and no avatar was, said something about me, I don't care. But when someone who runs a blog like Dallas did, it was like, oh, this is particularly hurtful. And like, and like, I I thought we had a, an understanding here that you know I'm coming from a good place and I know you're coming from a good place, but all of a sudden you're writing this stuff about me because you have a platform and you can. Um, and as we talk about on the podcast, like it worked out and eventually was this thing where he saw how hard we worked to, to be an additive to this culture and to never take away and that we didn't go running off, we were two feet down. But in those early days, it was like, I'm not going to take I'm not going to take those people very seriously who say stupid things about our videos in the comment section, unless it's somebody who, like, I I thought was on the same wavelength as me, um, goes that extra mile. And that happened, you know, here and there. Can you expand on some of the bloggers who explored the links between new artists and where they were from as a way to give a wider context to readers? Who do you think did the best job of pulling you into a space of discovery and push the limits of blogging about critical regionalism? I think there's so many people. You know, I think that's that's every every um, blogger had their own way of doing that. Um, I think that like you know Andrew Nasnitsky in terms of critical thought, you know, really pulled you in and, and 
had a certain way of um, writing that that really spoke to me. I think that uh, Jeff Weiss um, for Passion of the Weiss had a really interesting um, mm-hmm. and and so well written and so engaging. Um, and same with uh, the spoken section. I think those are probably like the three most engaging in terms of like depth of writing um, for me. Yeah, I think that um, SK was super important because I valued his taste and he put me on to people that I wouldn't have given a, a shot to before. Also presented artists that I thought I knew and loved in a new way and new context. Like I, I almost, and this is way before knowing him and being a very, very, very close friend of ours. Um, but Styles P on Na Right was a whole like new artist for me. It was like, wow, I can appreciate this guy who, you know, I enjoyed his group material. I enjoyed his solo material, but like, you know, independent and like blog era Styles P was something brand new to me and something I valued so much. Bun B, um, I was able to experience him in a whole new way thanks to his um, appearances on Not Right. Um, so it was a it was a central part of my hip hop internet experience. But also, um, you know, I, I have to give credit to places like um, on Smash.com who with their platform and and they were singular in that they developed their own video player. Um, I went there to discover people like two chains or, um, uh, you know, Freddie Gibbs or, um, you know, Max B or true life and, um, or, or get something new from those guys. And, you know, each, each website was a beautiful place in itself. And I'm going to be honest, it wasn't all about artist discovery because if I went to misinfo.tv and Minya wrote a post about an artist, okay, cool. But if she wrote something about like going out to a concert that ended up being like super annoying, which made for a very funny post. I enjoyed that just as much because it was like, I feel like I know who she is and I feel like I could have been on that line and I might've been on that line, you know, waiting outside to get in. And I went through the same frustrations as her. And like on a personal level, um, I was like, I I understand this person just as much as I think I understand SK from now, right? It's interesting you talking about the video player on on Smash, and one one of the things you talk about in the series is the budget for music videos, which crashed, of course, during the blog era, and it essentially opened these gates for a new generation of directors. How do you feel about that shift post Ricardero, who you mentioned on that episode? So, um, I think that now in twenty twenty three, when we look at at this this shift, it's pretty striking in how quickly everything happened and out of nowhere recordero comes around because he you know or a or a rex arrow comes around or show me show me patuari or jason Goldwatch or um uh spiff tv and all these people who created content in a new way um 
just because they had a, a camera and a lens and a tripod and a bunch of friends and maybe some lights um, and, and a YouTube channel, right? And yeah. it was all a, a beautiful thing. Uh, today, it feels so obvious. But back then, it was like, it was like, if you didn't get a Rick Cordero video, you weren't legitimate. Um, it, you know, Joel Ortiz, to me, was special because all of his stuff was shot by Rick. And it was like, yeah. I'm going to get that on a basically a weekly basis. And I was like, you know, yes, we grew up watching MTV and you know, when we went to our grandparents' house and you're watching these gigantic videos. And then later on, you know, when they have um, behind the video, right? Wasn't that what it was called? Uh, uh, or making the video, making the video on MTV. Right, right. And you meet all these directors and you're just like, wow, Dave Myers and and this- Hype Williams. Hype Williams and, and uh, you know, different, different people. They're making these humongous videos and the sets are enormous and the crews are enormous. And, and they're the, there for three days. Yeah, and the look is enormous. And um, and then all of a sudden, Rick Cordero is doing something that feels just as enormous, but you know that it's like a three-person team. Yeah. And they're turning it around in no time. If If they had a documentary crew filming Rick's shoots, and we've been on his shoots. In fact, he shot... A video for us um but if if but if there was a documentary team filming that it would be probably very boring right um as opposed to the pipe williams dave myers you know gigantic sets that that we were used to and so um this shift happens extremely quickly because money is no longer there but artists are still hungry Artists still want to put their stuff out and present themselves in a certain way. And if you have someone like Rick or Rex or Jason or Show Me or whatever who who have or Spiff you have that have these ambitions themselves, well, that's all the better. And thankfully, platforms like Nawrite and all these other websites, you heard that new and 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 Exclusive Zone and um, the Jazz One. They were all willing to post these videos. Well, now you have a, a place for them where MTV is no longer. When you think about the blog era, looking back on the blog era, what project comes to mind first? Oh, man. Um, I think it changes on the day because um, there's so many different options. But you're catching me on a moment where I, I want to say French Montana, uh, Coke Boys, but I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold off. I'm going to say... Um, Probably like Pilot Talk by Currency. I would say either Cushion Orange Juice or Crit Was Here by Big Crit. Albert Anastasia by Rick Ross. You know, I mean, there's there's a lot. And listening back to those projects, is there a sense of them being different? Do they feel different in today's landscape? Yes. Yes. And, and I'll, I'll tell you why. This is a time of a lot of change. And as we've discussed, um, you know, it's it's media is changing and budgets are changing and uh, platforms are changing and presentation is changing and style is changing. Um, but also you're dealing with a crossroads of um, consumer technology. So when you discuss somebody like Rick Cordero, he's able to finally afford a a 
prosumer camera and lens and lights and whatever to to get his work done on a on a on a random uh laptop computer that you can get whether it's apple or or windows in right. 2008 9 10 um you're going to either get GarageBand on your Mac, an early version of that, or you can download for free on some site um, some type of uh, recording program that will allow someone to record as much and as often and as uh, loud or soft or whatever. It allows them to record directly into their computer. You don't need a giant studio you don't need um a distribution plant you don't need a whole team to put you could just record something you you could download an instrumental to a milli and you yourself can jump on it and rap however you want to rap and bounce that track and send it immediately to one of the websites or a million websites and and uh hopefully get some coverage and because of that not everyone who has a laptop computer is going to be uh, a professional recording engineer. So when you listen back to, and I say this with all due respect, when you listen back to early currency stuff, <laughs> it's not like everything is mixed or mastered. It's just like recorded quickly, put out, and it's it's itself a vibe, but it's not going to sound like the clean, professional, um, you know, perfect uh piece of art that everyone may have come to expect from all the years that the studio system uh or that the um the the major label system uh put out music you know yeah the epitome of greatness face it no one place and close sweetness on the beach that walter payton flow on track to be the best what you pacing for call play still back pump fake and throw who that Drew present on the field, the document is monumental, shit real to real. No huddle game plan in my phone, outstanding most. Haters, commentators, call them Pat Buchanan's. Dough still slamming on the Cadillac, swinging lane to lane, gripping grain like a battle axe cameraman. Capture the future like it's here for me. Why these chill leaders chill for me? We too hard to be crushed, too gone to be stuck, too fly to be touched, too much to be us, so we. Just let them do they thing Cause we something like the A-Team And I ain't talking about they team I'm talking Super Bowl great team Undefeated all season Championship, no Do you think that people take the blog era and everything that made it such a special time for granted? Sort of. I mean, well, depends on who you ask. You know, I, I don't think that it's um, an easy answer. I think that a lot of, well, no, okay. Let me, let me back up. If you ask me, and my, my first response is people do not undervalue it. People actually, it's grown in people's minds. Um, people lionize it, people nostalgize it. Um, so I think that that's, sort of the thing that we were contending with in this podcast where we didn't want to just dive into a strict nostalgia play we didn't want to just give everybody warm and fuzzy feelings 
Um, mm. But I think that what leads to people having very big imaginations of how great it was is the fact that there a lot of this stuff doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Um, and so that can, on the flip side, allow some people to forget about it, um, allow people to diminish its um, its accomplishments because none of this stuff exists. Um, so it, it, it's, it's twofold. You know, you, on one side, you have it's very, very large in people's minds. And in one, in one respect, you have people who don't even acknowledge it at all. Um, but it really depends on how far outside the circle you go. I agree. When you look at the ascension of somebody like Mikey Fresh, who was shaping music engagement, you know, a genius recently, can you expand on that elevation of growth and how it ties into this discourse between today and the blog era in terms of there being this tug of war between globalism and retention of rules and gatekeeping? Well, there's, for a very long time before the blog era, there was a ladder at any job and you work your way up it. Um, our dad, you know, for the, for his whole life worked for, for two big companies. Um, by the time you get to 2007 to, to, to uh, 2012, it's sort of shifting a little bit. And so you get both someone like Misinfo, Minya, who creates a platform as a passion project and still has her day job. And she has, you know, she went to Columbia Journalism School. She she worked at um, various magazines and, and every step of the way graduated a level. Her top assistant is Mikey Fresh. And Mikey goes to college not for journalism. He just has an affinity for it. Signs on to be Minya's like number two and do whatever it is that she needs. Um, hey, I need this interview uptown. Hey, I need you to skip out on this this class final and uh, you know join me for this interview out in Brooklyn. I need you to um, show up and cover this or I need you to make sure you're online to do this. And it's a lot of grunt work. One can say it's like an internship in itself. And at the same time, Mikey's at these different publications, Vibe Magazine, for example, that Minya, you know, once worked at and people used to ascend in a certain way. But Mikey ends up having more power working on Minya's website, more power and more access and and becoming more important to a lot more people who would uh both read misinfo.tv and submit music to misinfo.tv than he could have ever gotten to at a vibe. You know, his work at Genius happened after the blog era ended. Um, but his yeah. the 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 gifts and trips and access and notoriety that he would get in those five years working as one of the faces of Minya's website far exceeds um, a lot of the other quote unquote professional opportunities that Mikey Fresh had. 
For anybody who are yet to hear this series, can you talk about the significance and control of the new music cartel? Is this force coming in into the industry and from the outside, just, I guess, really doing a service as renegades? Yeah, I mean, it was huge. They, they, you know, I think that a generation's taste was definitely influenced by this small group of people um, in the same way that a previous generation had been shaped by MTV, um, BET, yeah. uh, High 97, and XXL. You know, I think that um, here were seven or eight, you know, and, and their staffs were bigger. So, but let's say like seven or eight websites that were really interested in a certain type of sound and certain type of artists. And they were able to platform them and changed not just, you know, a, an insignificant amount of people's lives, but many, you know, whether they be artists who were um, able to find audiences or whether they were commenters who found something to do during the day and they made friends and, or even just like fans who were able to find music that they would never have connected to um, via the radio or, or establishment outlets. I think it's huge. I think it, it, it's it's and that they were able to, with credibility, put themselves in the same level as Double XL, the labels, Apple. You know, all these all these huge companies, and these were just people who were independently behind their computers. And when we're talking about the significance of the new music cartel, it is significant because it is a group, like Jeff said, of, of seven entities um, that all came together. If this was just the story of SK, who ran his site, Not Right, and he did it as a singular and lonely site, it wouldn't have lasted as long as it did. Um, it wouldn't have been as powerful as it was. Because he made the, the thoughtful choice to team up with who people could have referred to as his enemies or his competition, they were, it, it's like that saying, what is it? Like, if you wanna uh, move quickly, go by yourself. If you wanna go uh, further, or yeah, if you want to go faster, go by yourself. If you want to go further, you go with the group. Yeah, and, right, right. And th that's the story of the New Music Cartel, where they were like, you know what? Listen, our similarities are far more than our differences. And so let's team up. Let's all control how and what we put out there. And we will create something that will be a true force against all these systems that have been in place for so long. And the results are just there. I'm watching her fine ass walk to my bedroom and thought to myself that's the shape of things to come she said why in the club you don't make it precipitate you know make it rain when you can make it thunderstorm I'm like why the world needs sun the hood needs funds there's a war going on and half the battle is guns how dare I throw it on the floor when people are poor so I write like Edgar Allen to restore got a cord umbilical attached to a place that can't afford no landscaping or window draping this old lady told me 
If I ain't got nothing good, say Nathan That's why I don't talk much I swear it don't cost much to pay attention to me I tell it like it is, then I tell it how it could be The hood be requesting my services Oh, don't get nervous, it's step your game up time These ain't them same old rhymes designed to have you dancing in some club Niggas ride to me, women be off in they tub Exfoliating with they pom-poms What are your memories of experiencing the force that was drama mixtapes, Gangster Grill mixtapes, and being a fan of that series and seeing that footage on the news for the first time of the Don Cannon and drama raid? I think it was very scary. Uh, we were, because we were, we, we grew up, like I said, 30 minutes north of New York City. Hot 97 was our access to rap and and hip-hop culture um if you talk about funk master flex dj enough green lantern um uh, cypher sounds the list goes on and on um mr c absolute cast one um uh jazzy joyce our our taste our interest everything was was there dj drama and his mixtape run coincided with the internet being a, a big part of our lives. So when we had Napster and we had um, LimeWire and we were able to download all those mixtapes and feel what was going on in different cities and get a sense of different um, dialects and different references and everything, uh, and it was punctuated by this guy yelling and, you know, being clever and aggressive and fun on there too. And he, it was like, he was the conductor. Well, I mean, how could you, how could you ever go back to, you know, life as we knew it? It was just, it was everything. And, um, you know, when, when he did get run down on by the authorities, it was like, oh my God, this whole, this whole um, way of life, way of life is is just over. And and on a very very small level, like our lives as we knew it, it, it everything felt bigger. Yeah. It was like, oh my God, how will we ever consume music the same again? And and what is going to happen to this guy that we admired from afar? And and or both those guys. Um, and it was a weird, strange time that was certainly significant to us but way more significant to 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 them yeah can you remember if you were to take me back your first time downloading you mentioned being on napster can you remember your first time downloading one of those drama tapes or anything of that era anything of those years what was the first thing you guys downloaded uh well the, the very first thing i remember downloading was i had this service called scour.net and i you know i had heard about napster i was in like eighth grade seventh grade some one of those and i remember getting scour.net because it was supposed to be like the smart man's napster um and and i was able to download magic carpet ride um for the first time and it took like i don't know like half an hour or something um but then um I definitely used Napster and I definitely used Kazaa and Aries and all these other services that were like it, Nutella, um, and just absolutely destroyed 
um, some of my computers. I remember losing like 10,000 songs in 10th grade. Wow. Um, so the worst, the worst. Um, and so, but I remember, you know, falling in love with, uh, Kanye, uh, when he first came out and, um, there was a, I'm not a huge Eminem fan, but, uh, when I was in college and eight mile had just come out or was about to come out. And I really loved his mixtape stuff that he was doing with DJ green lantern. And I remember, um, trying to get a clean or a, a real copy of cleaning out my closet, which was, um, not a mixtape song, but, uh, cleaning out my closet and every single version of it was, um, corrupted in some way by the record companies, which just like flooded Napster with these fake versions of it. And so every single one would be um, the hook, but it would it would end with, I'm cleaning out my closet one more time. <laughs> and then it would just repeat. And so it would just be the hook over and over one more time, one more time. And I was just like this, and so I've been searching for that version of it for a very long time, because it's so funny to me. That's um, great. So nostalgic. But, yeah. And then the other uh, song that I remember, which wasn't, it, this was during the blog actual era. I remember mm. downloading, um, there was a copy of Justin Timberlake and T.I., My Love, right. um, which had Atlantic Records T.I. clearance as a, um, as a drop on it every like, uh, you know, eight bars or whatever. Right. And so... I remember listening to that all the time and like, it doesn't sound right without that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, when it came to, to searching and, and music discovery, um, Napster was super important. Uh, LimeWire, Kazaa, all those, all those sites were super important. And as we, as we would figure out artists that we loved, it, it would be like, let me just go down this, this deep hole searching for anything I can find. And, and, you know, it could be Kanye West. It could be, uh, you know, the, the DJs like DJ Green Lantern. I need every rip mm. of, of his show on hot 97. I need, you know, the newest Buster Rhymes. I need, um, mm. you know, then it was like, let me find the most random DJs. And then it was all about like, my brothers and I would, would get a kick out of different DJ drops. And it would be like DJ Lieutenant Dan, which is just, you know, whoever heard of this guy, you know, before or after. And it was just like, right. I, I need the newest Khaled. I need the newest Sycamore. Sycamore, um, you know, on and on and on. And, and it became almost unlimited. And, and, you know, you, 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 yeah. you just downloaded and downloaded and downloaded. Yeah. 31 yeah. degrees from Texas. Like it was there. Everybody had like, their own sort of thing. Put 
put the money up I bet anything I'd make your pretty wife stash that wedding ring So if she don't answer when the sunny ring It's cause it's all in her stomach like a belly ring Whoa, and when she saw the heavy bling Got gassed up so I passed her a Henny drink Gave her a little wink, made her step right out Wanted to test the mic out so I let her sing But that wasn't all I did to her Make sure I put my kids through her All the girls say me be a slick shooter Bang bang, I'm on my A-game They die for me to take aim Want me to blast from the jaw to the ass Man, they pass out when I'm all in their pants And who would've thought it came all from a dance I know what I wanna see when I see it So let me see it, girl, let me see it Talk about the relationship making this project with Pharrell with his media company, Overtone. Um, well, uh, for probably two years, Jeff and I worked on this by ourselves. Um, there was no, it started off as a, a project that we thought would be two months. Uh, it turned out to be much longer than that. We, we just kept going. And um, as we considered, hey, maybe there is a partnership to be had we spoke with a lot of places, obvious ones, big companies, um, ones that weren't obvious, smaller companies. Um, and in the back of our minds, uh, plenty, plenty of times we left meetings thinking to ourselves like, well, you know what? We still could put this out ourselves. We've done it before. Um, but I think we both believe that this had a, a bigger um opportunity to to really um be something special mm. and we went to la for a business trip and happened to just hit up our old friend scott venner who we've known for a decade and a half who will happily tell you that we were his first twitter follow which is pretty exciting or not depending on uh whether uh you have a life um <laughs> but uh yeah anyway so scott 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 went to to breakfast with us and over bagels um he's just like hey man you know or hey guys what are you what are you working on right now we're like oh we've been working on this project and um and the more we told him about it the more he was like well this is this is really crazy and i bet you guys would be a great fit for this new podcast company that Pharrell and I are starting and we talked about it for a little bit and we decided we would love to continue this conversation and we did and you know we could have signed up for any of those larger companies and it would have been like fine or at worst complicated um from a from an artistic perspective it certainly wouldn't have been as artist friendly as other tone has been for us they have been fantastic artistic partners letting us do what we do not getting in the way um just you know being supportive and encouraging um but on a on a narrative level you don't get this this group of blogger artists without pharrell williams you don't get a j cole a wale a mac miller um, a Mickey Fax, um, cool kids, uh, without that guy who was wearing a trucker hat, skinny jeans and riding a BMX bike. Um, yep. you, you just don't. And so when we tell our story about this thing, 
and we talk about the Lower East Side and that whole scene of of kids who were outsiders who wanted to make something of their own and pair high end and low end and skinny jeans and uh, all over prints and and uh, make something brand new. They all look to Pharrell as inspiration and to have him be a part of this story uh, means the world to us. And that other tone, we were talking to um, to Moses Choyola, who is the president of other tone this morning. He called to congratulate us for the, the 10th episode coming out and the, the, the series being in the world after three long years. And he was like, guys, we are so happy that you were the first uh, project that we put out underneath this umbrella because, um, you know, to, to work on something and feel it as, as strongly as we did and as confidently as we did and to see it work and to see all of our planning and uh, blood, sweat and tears come to fruition and be so well received is not only great for us, it's certainly great for our partners and, um, it's just been a joy and, and we're very, very excited about the future. What is it that you want people to take away from this series? I hope that people see that this is more than just uh, a music story. Um, this is a story about capitalism. This is a story about race. This is a story about the idealized version of the American dream. This is um, a larger story about David versus Goliath. And can you actually create a utopia and can it last? And I think that, you know, even down to like what Jeff and I experienced in trying to partner, find the right partner for this podcast, it's you try to figure out, well, how much can I keep this pure and how much can I sacrifice? And I think we found the right balance for ourselves in this project, but that's the greater thing in this world. And, and what people should take away from this, this, this podcast. There was a lot of um, sacrifice. There was a lot of um, trying to remain true and, and be pure and honest and true. Um, and I, I think you'll see that for a lot of people who had blogs, it couldn't last forever without some concessions and um and ultimately it's about well what do you prioritize and and how can you live your life while while doing that and and just as much what is the measure of success and i think people really need to uh take stock and rethink what the definition of success is and um yeah. There's a lot to think about in the podcast, and we're, we're very, very proud of all of that stuff. We're going to chase this tea. <laughs> Started from nothing, ended up with everything. From the house to the whips, taking trips any place that you care to name. Champagne. Skydiving, easy wider papers, no blunt to the ones you mouth high. Grinding, I'm living how I'm supposed to, supposed to. Laughing at you haters like I told you, told you. I just tell the waitress, keep pouring. Get
get in front of the camera, keep posing. Too much bank to be rolled in. That's why I stay going till the cake gets swollen and you just can't fold it. Oh, it's old and molded and the crust get golden. <laughs> yeah. I wish I could show my appreciation for this podcast. I wish I could respond to it somehow or be notified in the future when Fly Fidelity updates because it's so great. But I don't think there's a way I can do any of those things. Uh-oh. You're wrong. <laughs> Subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud and never miss an episode. Find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. My people saw you with me where you were.